Today's word comes from Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read from chapter 1 through verse 19. This is the word of the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were, who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is God's word. Let's uh, pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this story, and we pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that we would remember uh, the power of who you are, but also uh, the grace that you uh, freely give to those maybe who are the least deserving, but uh, your your grace is uh, that uh, wide and that powerful uh, that it reaches uh, even the chief of sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, shh, Pio. I know you know. <laughs> okay, we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, basically going through the book of Acts, we've been selectively looking at some of the events of the early church. So, the church began many, many, many years ago, and what the book of Acts is teaching us is not only how the church started, but the role and the power of the Holy Spirit in this early church. And today, we're going to look at a very important, dramatic conversion of somebody named Saul. Saul, you might know, is uh, the Apostle Paul, and Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament books. Now, I think for a lot of us, God starts off as an idea, and maybe God was introduced to us as an idea at a very early age because, like many of you young people here today, uh, your parents maybe took you to church, maybe told you about who God was. And uh, what I mean by that is, like, God is somebody that people have told you about, but maybe God is not somebody you have encountered uh, personally. 
When I was a younger student, it was very important for me to know who my teacher was going to be in the next year. Do you have those experiences? Like in the summer, you're like, oh, who's my teacher going to be next year, right? So I would, uh, this is before like people emailed, so we would get a letter in the, in the mail, and we would open the letter, and I'd go, who's my teacher next year? Who's my teacher next year? So maybe I would be in like second grade, or maybe I'd be in third grade, and I would want to know who my homeroom teacher was. And uh, during the summer, right, after we would get this letter in the mail, I would open it, and I would see, oh, next year my teacher is going to be Mr. De Palma. And so I would go to all the older kids who had Mr. De Palma, and I would say, hey, is Mr. De Palma a cool teacher, right? Is he, is he a, a nice teacher? And they would say, Mr. De Palma's the best teacher. He's so funny, and he would let you play this game called Silent Ball in class. And... Uh, the, Silent ball, an actual game today. Like you just throw the ball, and uh, it's actually the teacher's way to keep you quiet, right? And uh, we would play silent ball, and it's like so much fun. And I would know about Mr. De Palma, but I wouldn't actually know Mr. De Palma personally until I went to his class. And I think a lot of times that's how we begin to not just know people, but that's how we can start to know God. People tell us about who God is. And we learn more and more about who God is. And people might say, oh, you know, God is so gracious. God is so good. God is in control. God is so powerful. And as people just tell you, uh, God is just kind of an idea to you at that point. But at some point, God moves from just being an idea to us and something that people tell us about. And God becomes somebody that we start to know personally. And the way that happens is God comes and he encounters us. The passage that we uh, just read is a story about a man named Saul. And it's about a powerful encounter that God has with Saul, or specifically Jesus. Jesus comes and he speaks to Saul. And Saul, and of course Jesus has already risen and ascended into heaven. And uh, now Jesus is speaking to Saul, and Saul's like, he hears a voice, and he, he can't see who it is, right? And uh, just so you know, Saul, who is known by Paul by his Roman name, he would actually go on to become one of the uh, greatest missionaries because he would bring the gospel, and he would bring Jesus beyond just uh, the Jewish places, but now to what's called the Gentile nations, meaning the non-Jewish Nations. So he would go to the Greeks, and he would go to the Asians, and he would go and preach Jesus uh, in those places. But before Saul was that person, Saul was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a kind of Jewish person who did a lot of studying. Uh, he studied the law. He studied what we call the Old Testament, uh, and he was very diligent about studying the law. He thought Christians were sinning against God by telling people that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you think about it, somebody like that would be the most unlikeliest of people to end up becoming one of the great missionaries in church history to go tell Jesus to the entire world. We are actually introduced to Saul in a previous chapter. And you know what Saul is doing in the previous chapter? Well, there's a guy named Stephen who was killed. He was executed, right, for being a Christian. And we are told that not only did Saul approve of Stephen's execution, 
But we're also told he was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house. He was dragging men and women to prison. So he's not like a, just kind of a bystander who's like, eh, I don't like those Christians. Uh, but he's actually doing something about it, right? He's going into people's houses. He's grabbing them out of their houses and he's dragging them into prison. Now, why is he doing this, right? Why is he doing this? And you might think, well, he's doing this because he's not a very good person. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's why he's doing it. Because you see, he thought he was actually doing the right thing. He thought he was doing the righteous thing by persecuting these Christians. And oftentimes, it's the ones who believe that they're doing the right thing or the righteous thing who can do the most harm because they believe they're doing the right thing. Uh, I mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago, you know, when I was in college, I took a group of high school kids into New York City, and uh, we, did, uh, we, were just, we did something called prayer stations where we would go pray for people on the street. And we did that uh, once in, uh, in Brooklyn, And in Brooklyn, there are these uh, Orthodox Jewish uh, neighborhoods or communities, right? And I think some of you live close to those areas as well. And we would go around and we would ask people if they wanted prayer. uh, And uh, we were definitely not welcome in those neighborhoods, right? And what they, uh, people in that community were doing is they would, uh, they would actually like spit on us. (laughs) And then they would call us sinners and they're going, you sinners, right? And I remember one older gentleman, he was like kind of standing a few feet away. I was like, uh, you know, is there anything I can pray for you about? And he said, you're, you're sinning against God, and God will punish you for your blasphemy, right? And they would say all these things. Now, why did they say that? Is it because they weren't good people? No, I don't think it's because they weren't good people. Uh, I think they actually thought they were serving God in doing that. They thought that they were doing the right thing. And I think Saul is a little bit like that. You know, he, he studied very diligently. He was very committed to God. He was very devoted to God that he studied his law. He wanted to obey and keep every law. And he thought that these Christians were, uh, were doing evil, were sinning against God. And so he persecuted them, right? He wanted to destroy the church. But... Saul would eventually change. And you kind of have to wonder, how do you go from somebody who, like, uh, believed those kinds of things and uh, wanted all Christians to be arrested to now going to somebody who would go out into the nations and actually suffer for Jesus and go preach and be, he himself be arrested? How would somebody change like that? And I think the answer is, it only happens when there's a powerful encounter. It's not like somebody argued their way and convinced Saul saying, no, Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, It was actually Jesus himself who came and encountered Saul. And so our story begins with Saul. He wants to hunt down followers of Jesus. And uh, you had these followers of Jesus. They escaped Jerusalem because, like, right, Christians were being persecuted. They went to Damascus, and Saul is, like, so zealous at getting rid of these Christians. He's like, I'm going to follow them uh, into Damascus, and I'm going to find them, right? So on his way to going to Damascus, along the way, something happens to him, and a light from heaven shines down around him, and he hears a voice, and this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And understandably, he's probably a little bit confused, and he's like, right, who's saying that? Who's saying that? Who are you, Lord? And the voice responds, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, can you imagine what's going through his mind in that moment? He's like, no, 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 Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus, right, he was crucified, and he was rightly crucified because he was uh, saying the wrong things and teaching the wrong things and offending the God that I know. And all of a sudden, now he hears a voice saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And something strange happened to him when he stood up, and the strange thing is he lost his sight. And he couldn't see anymore. And he was blind for three days and he didn't eat or drink. Now, Jesus also appeared to another person, another disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, go look for Saul who's praying. And he says to Ananias, go lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias is like kind of confused. Like Saul, the guy who's like arresting Christians, uh, the guy who like hates Christians, and Jesus says to him, yeah, yeah, go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias listens to Jesus and enters a house, and he lays hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, all of a sudden, scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he is now able to see. So that's, that's the story. There's two things I want us to learn from this story, okay? The first thing is this. Sometimes God may do something that can seem painful at the time, but is ultimately for our good. What does God do to Saul? God takes his sight away. And That's a very interesting thing to happen to a person, to lose your sight for three days. You know, uh, the space where we used to worship and where uh, our office used to be down by, like, um, by Nomad, uh, I remember sometimes I would, like, walk around there, and I would see, actually, a lot of blind people. And I think there's probably, like, some kind of facility or institution there uh, specifically for blind people, uh, because I I would see them all the time on this one particular block, and I was like really amazed at how self-sufficient people who are not able to see can walk around in New York, right? It's hard enough to walk around like when you can see with like all the pedestrians and all the cars, uh, but they just like had a walking stick and they, they get to the end of the street. They know when to stop somehow, right? They know when the, the traffic light is, uh, right, doesn't say go, and then they, they proceed to walk when it turns green. And I would just, like, watch them, and I would be, like, super amazed by how they were able to do that. And uh, what I've heard is, like, when you lose one of your major senses, what it does is it heightens all of your other senses. So if you lose your sense of sight, then your sense of hearing might get much, much, much better. And uh, that can only happen when you lose your sense of sight. And maybe we don't really know how to activate those other senses Uh, to the potential that we can use them until we experience losing uh, something like sight for a prolonged period of time. Now, I don't really know why Saul lost his sight, but I do think it probably heightened his other senses, okay? Remember, he wasn't somebody who was hearing about God for the first time. He wasn't somebody who was not familiar with what uh, the Old Testament said, But he was actually a man with a lot of convictions. And he believed God was a certain way based on what he studied. And when Jesus came, it would have completely changed his entire understanding of everything that he knew. And so maybe 
He needed to be blind for those three days in order for other senses to be heightened so that he can finally understand everything he studied in view of Jesus. You know, if I were to do an exercise, if I were to say, everybody, I want you to close your eyes, and uh, if you closed your eyes for, I don't know, maybe a minute, and then all of a sudden you can begin to hear every little noise, right, that's around you. You hear that fan, you hear the, the crinkling of the wrapper, people shifting in their chairs, right? So your sen- you can open your eyes. Your sense of sight uh, heightens other senses. And I wonder if that's something that also happened spiritually to Saul, where he lost his sense of sight, and then now his spiritual senses are heightened. Maybe that's actually why we pray with our eyes closed. Maybe it's supposed to heighten our sense of uh, knowing who God is and encountering him. Uh, Who knows? But sometimes God takes away something that we think we need, that we lean on, in order to open up our spiritual eyes to see him in a special way. And it doesn't have to be sight. It could be other kinds of things that we lean on. So that's the first point. The second point is this. You know, nobody is too bad uh, to be saved. You know, in one sense, uh, we can say all of us are the same before God, right? All of us are not perfect. All of us have uh, sin. All of us are not worthy of God's favor and acceptance because he is so holy. But I, I think we also tend to think in a certain way and like we think about people in two kinds of categories and we say well yeah i know like we're all sinful uh but i'm not as bad as like certain people right or we might say you know i can see why god would save like certain kind of sinful people who are not that bad but you know those other people uh who are sinful and really bad uh there's no hope for them and we kind of create these two categories but god doesn't use those categories and i think what this story also shows us that in God's eyes, nobody is so bad that they can't be saved. Nobody has done so much wrong and evil that he cannot be gracious to them and show him his mercy. Uh, In some of uh, Saul or the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, he says things like he's the chief of sinners, and I don't don't think he's just saying that. Um, I think he really believes it. I think he, was, he believed that he was the chief of sinners because he really did do some really terrible things to the church and to God's people. And yet, God pursued him and God saved him. And not only that, God used him in incredible ways to bring the gospel to the nations. Do you know why that's true, though? Do you know why nobody is too bad to be saved? It's because the cross is too good not to save. You can imagine Saul being blind for three days and going all over all the scriptures that he learned. He hears Jesus speaking to him, and now he has to consider, wow, I, <clears throat> I could have been wrong about Jesus. And he starts to think about all the things that he did to people and all the things that he did to Christians. And now he starts to rethink all the scriptures that he's learned and try to make sense of them. He thinks about the law. He thinks about the Psalms. He thinks about the prophets. And all of a sudden, maybe they start to come alive to him, and now he sees what they're truly saying in view of Jesus. And when he starts to think about that, maybe now he sees the power of the cross. And he sees, oh, this is what God's plan was and 
how he planned to save us, he sees like nobody can be righteous under the law. This is things he writes in Galatians and Romans. Nobody can be righteous under the law, but Jesus had to come to make us righteous. And maybe he weeps over his sin, or maybe he weeps tears of joy. Maybe he breaks out in spontaneous worship, and he begins to praise Jesus because he now sees the power of the cross and why Jesus died on the cross. And ironically, he begins to gain spiritual sight in the midst of his physical blindness. You see, Jesus saves not just the ones who are good, not just the ones who are not that bad. He saves even somebody like Saul. He pursues somebody like Saul. He encounters somebody like Saul. He uses somebody like Saul. Why? Is it because Saul was worthy? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Saul was not worthy, but God did it to show his power, his grace, his mercy. You see, God, I mean, just think about seeing that. If God can change somebody like Saul, completely change somebody like Saul, what does that say about who God is and about his power? It says he's very powerful. It also says there's nobody without hope. It also says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in the end, isn't that what we want to long for? For Jesus to encounter us in powerful ways and for us to confront who we are in our sin if only to see the greater power of the cross. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we thank you for somebody like Saul. And, you know, uh, we, we know that we are all, um, we're all the kind of people who have sin in our hearts. And because of that, uh, we're not perfect. Because of that, we act in selfish ways. Because of that, uh, we have pride. Because of that, uh, we don't love the way we ought to love. Because of that, uh, we disobey. Because of that, we, uh, we desire things more than you. We desire things that we shouldn't desire. Um, because of that, um, you know, we don't, we don't uh, deserve you. But the reason why we're here is because even though we don't deserve you, uh, you pursue us. in powerful ways that you come and you encounter us. You call us by name. You show us who we are. You speak to us. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. You help us to see what your word says. You help us to see uh, the message of the gospel and you make it make sense not only in our minds but in our hearts. And therefore we can uh, respond to you. Therefore we can have uh, hope, therefore we can have joy, therefore we can have peace, therefore we can have security, therefore we don't have to carry the burden of uh, achievement or being perfect, therefore we don't have to carry the burden of making a name for ourselves, but we can truly rest in you. And so as we see the power of who you are and the power of the gospel in, in the life of Saul, I pray God that likewise uh, you would show us your power uh, to us, and we would worship you in response because of the cross. 
Which has demonstrated your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.